Come on in, find your seats if you would. We'll get started here. Um, starting our new Sunday School curriculum. If you did not get your uh, family devotion handout, they're on the back table, so feel free uh, to make sure you pick those up for next week and uh, get your memory verses down. Now, uh, one thing that I mentioned was that we're going to have Scripture listeners that'll do your memory verses, so before and after class, you can go and see a few different people. Uh, in between and try and get your memory verses in. That way we don't have to go all the way around the room. All right, so I have John and Denise Wall right here in the front row. They are, uh, you know, always in the front row. So you can go see them. Uh, and then also Carla Legault has also said that she would do that for me. Uh, and if three, if I find three is not enough and they're getting so inundated that they can't uh, do that, then I will add a couple more if we need to, okay? So I just want to make it as convenient as possible and easy on folks. Uh, and so please uh, go ahead and make sure you get your memory verses into them. Uh, they have been fully instructed to be nitpicky, all right? Uh, every word of God is pure, and it's supposed to be pure. And so when you stand up and you say things like, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary bread, you're just wrong. And uh, you say, why did you say that? Because that's what pastor keeps saying, so it's funny. Uh, he's not in here to defend himself, so it's even better. Um, but if you heard him on Wednesday, that's what he said repeatedly, and I wanted to get up and hit him and tell him that's not the right memory verse. Uh, but, uh, of course, uh, if you would, grab your Bibles, Job chapter 23. We're going to get started this week, first week of lessons on the new curriculum. If you, have, if you missed last week's uh, family devotion handout, let me know. I will get you one so that you can have it. Uh, but, obviously, you're going to be doing week two's, uh, lesson two's devotional. It's on the back table. Uh, it says... Uh, don't get confused. It says principle one, lesson two. Okay, we're running the same type of a principle, and it's God's word gives life, and so uh, be ready for that. Um, but uh, as we go into it, uh, this week's memory verse, Job 23, if you uh, take note, uh, we, we did the second half of the verse. We didn't do the whole verse, uh, but we did the second half of the verse there of Job 23, verse number 12. He says, neither... Have I gone back from the commandment of his lips? I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so this morning we're going to be talking about the Bible. We're going to talk about it in general. It's a little overview. We're going to kind of lay some groundwork this morning about the Bible and about uh, doing some Bible lessons. Uh, Job's statement here is great in that it, it makes sure you understand that Job esteems God's words higher than he does his own food that would sustain him. Now, it's not just food in general. It is necessary food. Uh, the thing that would keep you alive, Job esteems the Bible more than he does uh, his own food and his own physical care, his spiritual need is deemed higher. And so we're going to talk this morning ultimately about how as we look at our lives, uh, the views that we look at and the things that we consider and the way we look at Scripture and the way we look at the world uh, is all based upon, ultimately, the view you would like to take. And there's really only two basic views, and so we're going to look at those two views a little bit this morning, and we're going to talk more about what God wants us to see and how He wants us to see it. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get in this morning. Father, we thank You for the day, and we thank You once again for Your goodness, for Your mercy, for Your compassion upon us. We thank You that the Word of God has come to us, and Lord, we can open it, and we can read it, we can understand it, and we can, Father, we can learn 
the mind of God because you gave it to us on paper. And so, Father, I do pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we look at these things this morning, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up and that you would bless the day. Lord, we love you. We pray, Father, for folks to come in, Lord, visitors, even today. Father, maybe some that are lost that come in today, we pray that they would hear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they'd hear the gospel of what great things the Lord hath done for us, and they'd call upon Jesus Christ alone to save them. Father, once again, we pray you'd bless the day in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, we're talking about the Word of God this morning. He says, I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. Uh, ultimately, as we look at the world, there's really there's two views that you can get. Uh, you can try and say that there's more than two views, but there's really there's just two views. Uh, it's either going to be the world's view or it's going to be God's view. Uh, that's it. Uh, the world's view is, uh, right, that in the secular world uh, that the Big Bang happened and there was this explosion that everything came from and that you and I have, uh, all that we have and all that we see is based upon what the world wants to say happened so that they have no evidence of, uh, but they, they want to say that these things happen, right? There's a worldview of how we started. There's a worldview uh, that mankind is uh, just, I mean, we're progressing and doing greatness. Uh, the world wants to believe that you and I and the things that we do, uh, change is just so amazing and that mankind is amazing and we're getting better and better. That's the world's view. The world's view is that, that we're getting better. Uh, we're learning more, and so because we're learning more, and because we have more, and because we understand, we're getting better. Everything is great. Man is great, and we're good. And man is inherently good. That's what they believe. There's goodness in everyone, and everybody's good. And, and really, I mean, if we could just keep building, and we'll be great. That's the world's view. The world's view is that we all came from an explosion and we adapted and we changed from monkeys into people and it is amazing and real progress continues to happen and that the Bible and that old book that you have is just, it's archaic and it's terrible and it's holding you back from being great. That's what Freud believed. Freud was an atheist and he believed in all those things and that's where they get all of their things about how great mankind is. Mankind is so amazing, according to the world. Uh, there's no real progress because the Bible uh, holds everyone back and the Bible's the problem. The words of God, that's the problem. That's what the world thinks. That's why God is certain to make a distinction. He makes a great distinction. Uh, we'll grab a couple of the Go over to uh, uh, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Now bear with me, the, uh, uh, the new lessons, I'm going to mention this, uh, you know, a couple of times over the next few weeks, right? The new lessons, I'm looking at the new lesson and I'm trying to make sure I don't put too much in and take too much time. And so you'll see me, I'll be, I'll be trying to figure out how many verses to go to and how many not to go to, okay? Uh, same thing I do with my own notes when I pile them all up, how much can I do and how much time I have. So I don't want to, so if you see me rushing or moving around a little bit extra, I apologize, I'm just working on my timing with how much materials we have for these things. So First uh, John chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world, hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not 
that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome, the, overcome them, because greater is he that is, that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God makes a great distinction between what the spirit of the world is, the spirit of what is going on around you, and the age that you're living in. That spirit moves one direction, and God is moving in a completely different direction. Those two things are independent of each other. And what God wants you to see is that the world's view is one thing, and God's view is completely different. And the difficulty that we have is that we oftentimes are living, and I'm going to get to this a little bit more, we're living with the world's view and we're staying looking the way the world wants us to see. And that's not the case. That's not what God wants you to do, uh, right? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life are not of the Father, but they're of the world. He doesn't want us to look at the world. He doesn't want us to have their view and their mindset and their way of thinking. And so God purposely, look over at 1 Timothy chapter 6, God purposely makes the distinction that there is a spirit, there is a belief, there is a philosophy that the world has that you and I are not supposed to hold to. And the world has that, and God is purposely putting things here so that you and I do not have to have that same view. Now notice what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. He reminds Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called. Science, I have no problem with science. You say, what is science? Science truly is, I have a theory now I'm going to go prove my theory, and until it is proven, it's only a theory, and it doesn't go beyond that. I don't teach it like it's a fact, because it's just a theory. Now, if I stood up here and I said, well, you know, I, I, in theory, these things are here. You hear me do that all the time. I theorize what I think was happening in a passage. Or you hear us, and we try to illustrate some things, and we try to do things, uh, and we make some, some suppositions, but we can't give you a definite answer, and you hear me say that. I don't know this for sure, but this is what I think about the Scriptures here. I don't have enough evidence and cross-references to be able to prove my point. Or I could do what a scientist today does. And I could tell you these things must be so because I said so. That's science falsely so-called. That's what that is. That, they're not a scientist. There's someone who wants to prove what they want to prove and they skew the numbers to make it do what they want it to do. That is all fraud and that is exactly what it is. It's science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. He goes, hey, even Christians are getting wrapped up in science falsely so-called. Uh, science is supposed to be where you have a theory, you prove or disprove your theory and go with what the facts of the case say. That's science. But that's not what you get today. And that's not what a world wants you to do. And instead the world becomes science falsely so-called and they want you to go that direction. And God purposely makes the distinction that there is biblical teaching and biblical teaching shows that there is a certain order 
and a blessing that stems and grows out of the obedience you have to the Word of God and what He told you to do. The blessings of God come because we have the truth, and the truth shows you that uh, the truth is the world is not getting better. We started at the greatest point, Genesis chapter 3. God put Adam and Eve in a perfect garden in a perfect environment, gave them one choice and one choice alone. You can choose the tree of eternal life, (laughs) the tree of life that gives you that, or you can choose death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Over and over, mankind has had that put in front of them in different ways, in different respects, and he goes ahead and says, okay, choose, and mankind makes their choice. And amazingly enough, the majority of mankind is brought as the way that leadeth to destruction. They always seem to choose the wrong thing as a whole. Oh, there's few that be that find life. But over and over again, mankind decides to follow the way of the world. Man is not getting better. They're not getting smarter and greater. In fact, God says in Ecclesiastes that man in his best state is altogether vanity. At our best, we're not good. (laughs) Jesus' statement is there's none good but, but one, and that's God. Mankind is not good, and we're not inherently good. You didn't inherit goodness, you inherited sinfulness. Amazingly, the world is the exact opposite of what God says in the Bible. The world says, yeah, everybody's great, we're good. Can't we all just get along? And God says, there's none good. There's none righteous. You're not getting better. I gave you a perfect environment, I gave you a perfect body, I gave you everything brand new, and you know what you did? You ruined it. And it's not getting better. Uh, In fact, he sets up scientific laws. And some of those scientific laws are entropy. The second law of thermodynamics, everything is breaking down and getting worse. It's losing energy and potential. It's not getting any better. And man man looks at God and says, yeah, but we want to be better, so we're going to say that we are. And they go against him. Over and over again, uh, the world tries to get away from God and get away from Him. They try and say that they are, of course, uh, better than He is. They try to say that they don't need Him. They say that, and they can't figure out that He is all that they would need. And they avoid Him. And you have those two views, and you could go through, and we can do a whole bunch more on the views that the world tries to hold to. But the truth is uh, that it's either going to be the world's view or it's going to be a biblical God's view. And God's view is found in the Bible. Uh, Over and over and over again, you and I are supposed to build upon the precepts that God has written out. You and I are supposed to go ahead and work on the things that He tells us to work on and to grow and to be able to gain. The Bible has all the answers. There is a biblical view. Look back all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 1, God tells you exactly what happened. It was not a big bang, outside of the fact that the power of God may be represented by bang. (laughs) I don't know, maybe that was the noise after he said, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and he spoke it into existence. I don't know if there was a noise after that. 
But if there was, it could have been a bang, but it certainly wasn't the way that a scientist wants you to believe. Instead, God gives you the source of all of our start, and our start, where we came from, is in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. God made it. Uh, it doesn't happen through theistic evolution, and over a course of time, all these things started to form, and God put all these things in. The, that's not what he says. Uh, I firmly believe that the Bible is right. Six days God creates, seventh day he rests. Those are 24-hour periods of time. And they are consecutive days. <laughs> and anybody who tries to say different can't figure out what the evening and the morning are. I think there's a reason he purposely put that. The evening and the morning were the first day. That way when some fool goes and jumps all the way out and says, uh, well, you know, a day is with the Lord as a thousand years. So it took him 7,000 years of creation. What? How do you get that from evening and morning? See, you don't. You don't. And that's where you get into all those false things. And what the devil tries to do, and I'll get into that here if uh, I think. I think I'll get into that. So the Lord tells us uh, exactly where we came from. We start with the Lord. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 is up above me here, uh, right above the valance there. And uh, you know what it says? It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and we're created. It tells us why we're here. Science has yet to figure out why you and I are here. There's no reason. In, in the theory of evolution and the idea that mankind has evolved and everything else, and we're here and it's all an accident, you realize that's why there's no hope for them. They have no idea why they're here. And then you look at that question and why are we here and why do we exist and why are we put on the face of this earth that's why suicide starts to happen. I don't have nobody, nobody will miss me. Nobody wants me. Uh, I'm all alone. I don't have any purpose. All I'm here is to suck air until I die, and then I go ahead and go in the ground and some grass grows up above me. No concept of why you're here. Unless you have a Bible. And the Bible tells you why you're here. You're here to give God glory. Look over at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Now I'm going to remind you of something really quick. That way you understand. This same lesson right here, at different levels, is being taught in all those places over there for all of the kids. All right? They're not getting all the things that I'm giving you. Okay, all right, four, five, and six-year-olds are not getting this, all right? Uh, but they're getting the concept that what? The Bible has all the answers for your life. The Bible tells you where you came from. The Bible tells you what you need to know. Now, they don't need all the things that I'm giving you this morning, uh, but the teenagers are getting a bunch of this, and the 10, 11, 12, they're getting this. And so all those age groups over there, they're getting some of this right now, all right? And this is the foundation. This is the first one. You say, why? Because it's all about the Bible is our source. It's our source of what we know about who God is and what he's done and why you and I have any purpose whatsoever. You realize that if you can instill into a four, five, and six-year-old that God loves them and has a plan for them, that's a pretty good start, isn't it? That's a better start than the world ever gets. And you start building on that, and as they get older and they get into that teen class, and Brother Kevin's over there teaching them, you know what you get? 
God has a purpose for your life. You're about to graduate. He still has a purpose, and he wants you to start looking to fulfill that purpose as you step out of here, not just here local, and, and maybe the Lord's going to ask you to do some other things. And I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. That's what I'm talking about, and just so you know, uh, that's, that's one of the things that I like. You can see, I want you to see what your kids are getting, what the kids of the church are getting, and as they grow up, what they're going to see through, through the different levels as they go through. And they're going to get little pieces of this, and then we're going to build on it and line upon line, precept upon precept, until they're old enough to understand more and more, we'll, we'll try and help. And so Romans chapter 5, you know what you have? Uh, verse number 12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. God tells us how things got messed up. You look at a world today, you know what you know? It's messed up. It's a mess. It's a mess in America now. It's a mess everywhere. And people lose hope. They go, I don't know how it got this bad. I'll tell you how it got this bad. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. That's how it got this bad. Sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Mankind introduced sin into the world because they made a choice. Genesis chapter 3, they made the choice. We can run all the references. We're not going to do that right now. Sin came into the world because of mankind's choice. And so Luke chapter 19, I'll make you look at all these. Luke chapter 19, probably all very familiar to you. I hope, I hope most of these are familiar to you, right? Luke chapter 19, the, the question, why did Jesus have to show up? Verse number 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus had to show up because he was trying to find some sinners that he could save. He came to find somebody he could take care of and fix. Someone who'd be willing to not continue with the problem. And so you know what he does for you? John chapter 10. Look over at John chapter 10. Verse number 10. Right? The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. Uh, he wants, uh, you, know, you know what the world wants? The world wants happiness. They want to be happy, don't they? I mean, some of them, I guess, probably want to be miserable, but most people, they want happiness. And whether it's taking what somebody else has so that they can be happy, whether it's uh, going and doing whatever it is they want to do and going out and partying with their buddies or whether it is, whatever they're doing, they're looking for something where they can be happy. They want a job that makes them happy. They want a family to make them happy. They want wealth and power and these things. Why? So they can be happy. They think those things will give them happiness. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what they do? They seek things out. What? To make them happy. They play this sport or they do this activity or they do these things. Why? So that they can be happy. <laughs> and they're miserable. Because they can't find real happiness. You know what the Lord wants? He wants you to be happy. The Lord doesn't want miserable Christians. That's not what he gave you. It's not why he saved you. He didn't save you to be miserable. You know what he said? I saved that, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Isn't that a happy life? Isn't that part of that idea of having abundant life? Being happy. Having those, that peace and the contentment and the joy of 
having a Savior for all of eternity. See, the world wants, wants to find out how I can be happy, and the Lord says, I'll tell you how you can have happiness, how you can have peace, how you can have all those things. Uh, you know what the world doesn't know? Turn over to Revelation chapter 21. The world's philosophy, oh, eat, drink, and be merry. Why? For tomorrow we die. What difference does it make? What happens when we die? Ah, nothing. Nothing happens. Or the idea, well, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to party with my friends. Uh, well, you know, uh, I'm just going to come back as a whatever else and reincarnate and based upon how great I was will determine whether or not I get to be a cow. Um, you know. Well, you know, based upon these, you know, and... and you know, we're just gonna we're gonna sleep for a little while, and then the Lord's gonna do these things, and and God's okay. Or Revelation chapter twenty one, verse number four, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Or God tells you how it's gonna end for you. He tells you at the end of Revelation chapter 20, how it's going to end for all the lost. And in Revelation 21, he tells you how it's going to end for you. The Lord tells you how, how life is going to end and what's going to happen. The world doesn't know that. They have no idea. Their worldview is, take what you can get now because he that dies with the most toys wins. And the Lord says, he who dies with the most toys still dies and has to face me at a judgment. It's appointed on a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And now how's it going to be? His statement is, well, you've, you've built your barns, and you've built greater barns, and you had to go ahead and build more and store all your good. Then whose things shall these things be? Who's getting all your stuff when you die because you can't take it with you? That's the statement. Then who's shall these things? But who cares if you can build bigger barns and hold all your stuff and do all these? What difference does it make? You can't take it. Silver and gold hath not obtained our redemption. It, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. He goes, hey, you can heap up all the stuff you want. Stand in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who owns everything and then go ahead and try to impress him with how much wealth you gained. <laughs> he paves his streets with gold and then you show up and act like you've got a lot. His foundations are every precious stone you can think of. He says, I just use that as blocks. That's just, that's just concrete to me. <laughs> You're going to impress him? Say, so what's the problem? The problem is the world's view is terrible. I mentioned this last time, uh, and this is where I got the message, right? Uh, I got a message from this little spot right here. Uh, cute saying, I like it, so uh, I'll keep it, right? The Bible makes sure that we understand some things. It makes us understand that God formed us. That God is the one who formed mankind and formed a world and created the universe, and then he also lets us know that 
sin deformed us. We were perfect. We were made in the image of God. And because of our sin, we have transgressed and we have fallen from that same creation. And now we are in the image of man. We're in the image of Adam as a fallen person, as an Adam all die. And so then uh, the Bible now informs us. It tells us of all these things. But it doesn't just stop there. It informs us that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he's the one who came to fix it. And he shows up and he, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And he goes ahead and saves anybody who would. And the Bible lets us know about it so that Jesus can transform us. And he does. We're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God. If you'd let him, he'd go ahead and make it so that everything's new. And you can walk in newness of life. And you can have all those things. And you can have an abundant life. And he makes sure that we understand that that's the Bible's view. The Bible's view is, hey, the Bible's view is the truth of this is, how we, this is what we came from. God formed us. This is where we fell and messed it up. This is where God goes ahead and, uh, goes and gives us all the information we need so we can understand who Jesus is. And by the way, Jesus will save you and change your life. So you don't have to live like the world anymore. Those are the two views. The one view is that God's system doesn't work, that you and I just came from nothing, has no real answers, has no hope, and goes ahead and removes any idea that there is a creator so that you never want to reach toward the creator. And the other view is the creator is everything. Now here's the deal. You get to choose which view you want. The other wonderment of God is that He doesn't make us do anything. He leaves it up to you. He informs you and then says, okay, now you choose. And the choice that you make is the choice that you're going to make. And He'll do it. He'll let you choose over and over and over and over again. Say, are there consequences to my choices? Of course, he tells you that. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. You aren't going to make a fool out of him. He informs you, he tells you exactly what's going on. He tells you what he can bless, he tells you what he can't bless, he tells you all the things, and then he says, okay, now you choose. You can choose the world's idea of thinking, or you can choose the Bible's truth and the way that it teaches you how to think. There aren't any other options, by the way. Mankind says, well, I'm going to think for myself. Okay, where'd you get your information to think for yourself? There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The world's system and the world's way of thinking, it doesn't matter which side you start to grab and which religion you want and whichever way you want to go with the way the world wants to think, whether there's no religion to all religion to whatever it is and accept everything. It doesn't matter whatever spectrum you'd like, all of them end in the same direction. They're all the way of death. All the ways end in death. That's where they go. The world's view is the same across the board. So then... What do you have to, well, you either have to choose the world's path or the Bible. And you're going to follow, follow one or the other. Guess what? You don't get to go both directions. 
You don't get to be like, well, you know, I'm going to follow the Bible over here and then I'm going to follow the world over here. Because you're now in trouble. To walk with God means you're going to follow the Bible. Amos says in Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Real quick, uh, if you agree with God half the time, are you walking with Him? This is an all or nothing question. And I think most Christians don't recognize that. This is an all or nothing idea. Either you're going to agree with them and you're going to go with them or you're not. And indecision is not possible. We're in Revelation. Turn back to Revelation chapter 3. Say, what is indecision? Indecision means... Well, uh, let me just do, let me just kind of, I'm just going to kind of ride this fence right here and hope that I can fall over on the right side when I'm supposed to. Revelation chapter 3, you know it. Verse number 15, he's talking to the church at Laodicea. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. You're not, you're not in the worldly way of thinking, and you're not in God's way of thinking. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You go with the other side. You're going the opposite direction. He's sending you away. That means you're not on his side. That's pretty self-explanatory. You're not with him. He's spitting you out and getting you away from him. Because you're not walking with him. Look over at Luke chapter 11. It was this all or nothing idea. Well, Jesus will give it to you nice and plain. In case you weren't sure, Jesus likes to keep it plain. Uh, he, he spoke in parables to the ones that he didn't want to understand and made them work for it. But he always explained it to the disciples. He always explained it to them. Here he is, and he looks back over, and he wants, to, he wants to let everybody know this, right here. Real plain, verse number 23. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. His statement is, either you're with me, or you're not. It's an all or nothing thing. It's either you're going to get on board with what he wants you to think and the way he wants you to learn and the way he wants you to understand and having the, getting rid of the worldly wisdom and getting godly wisdom and trying to learn from him, or you're just siding up with the world whether you want to believe it or not. Isn't that a lost man's way of thinking? The lost man's way of thinking is, well, you know, I do pretty good. I never killed anybody. I never cheated on my wife. I never did this. I never did that, right? And they pile up all the worst things they possibly can, and they skip over, you know, lying, right? And they go, so I'm a pretty good guy. So obviously, you know, I believe in God, but they've never trusted Jesus Christ to be their Savior. You know what they are? They're a lost man. They're with the world. You realize you can't, 
you can't be in the place where King Agrippa was, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian and go into heaven? The question of heaven is an all or nothing question, isn't it? Either you, either you received Jesus Christ as your Savior or you didn't. <laughs> no matter how much you want to try and live in a gray area on that, there is no gray area. It's either you're saved or you're lost. Christian, you're either with Him or you're against Him. That seems a little too, I mean, can't either you're walking with Him or you're not. And you don't get to jump back and forth. You don't, you don't get to keep going, well, you know, I want to live like the world over here and then get the blessings of God over here. Because God is not mocked. You're not going to make a fool out of it. And too many people, they play around. They play with the idea, well, I can play church on Sunday and then I can go be what I want to be on Monday. No. Because here's the deal. If you stay in the world's mindset, you know what you're doing? That's a worldly mindset. What does the world want? Happiness. How do they get it? Whatever way they want so that they can be happy the way that they want to be happy. Christian, what's God's mindset? I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Then trust me to give you your happiness and all the things that you need. World mindset. You know what a worldly Christian does? They say, I'll do just enough with God to try and see if I can get his blessings without being committed to what he wants me to do. That's a lukewarm Christian. And he goes, you're against me. You're against me. Indecision is not possible. That's why Joshua stands up uh, and proclaims that exact statement. Choose you this day whom you will serve. There's a choice. And it's a daily choice. Isn't that Paul? I die daily. It's a daily choice. What way do I want to think today? It's a daily choice. What are you going to do? Are you going to look at it your way, which is the world's way? Or are you going to look at it God's way? He reminds us, Romans chapter 12, I'm getting close to the end. I'm actually doing... Not bad. All right. Um, he says in Romans chapter 12, right, to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Well, how do we renew our mind? By the Word of God. It's the washing of the Word. How do you know how He thinks? How do you know what the biblical view is of a world? How do you know what God wants you to believe and what He wants you to stand for and what He wants you to do and how He wants you to live and how to... You don't know it outside of the pages of a Bible. The world's not going to tell you how to live like a Christian. God's supposed to tell you how to live. He's supposed to give you all the answers. That's where we find all the answers, but people don't want to do that because they let the devil trick them into believing and being distracted of all the other things. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to go ahead and get media and entertainment and all the things that they want you to do and all the news and all the briefs and all the things. He wants all that to do what? Just distract you enough. You know what amazes me? It amazes me how many times you and I get just pulled into anything that doesn't involve God and the Bible and all the things and we go, 
and I, I'm all for being a good citizen of the United States of America and New York State. Don't get me wrong. Don't. But we get pulled into all the things that really don't involve us. They, they don't involve us. <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't change how you're supposed to live, and they don't change anything else. We just, well, you know, so-and-so said this. Okay, great. So-and-so says a lot of things, and it's all stupid, but that's fine. And we get sucked into all the media and all the things. And everything the news wants you to be worried about, you get worried about. Okay, except that safety is of the Lord. If it's not for His mercies, you know we'd all be consumed. So, well, it's either, it's either He's going to keep us safe or, well, you're going to keep yourself safe? The media goes ahead and entertainment and all the things that the world tries to put out, you know what they do? They're just mocking the Bible. How many things that are so abundantly wicked and are called an abomination in the scriptures do you see put on every television and every media now? All over the place. You can't get past a commercial anymore. It's in everything. Why? Because we just want to be accepted. By what? By the world. That's what the world wants. They're getting better. Only in their mind. They keep going farther and farther to more and more wickedness. And you've become okay and, and just desensitized to everything that they do. Oh, well, that's just the world. Yeah, except if that would have come on your television set 10 years ago, you'd have been throwing a gasket. He uses intimidation to discourage people from believing the Bible. Isn't that what the devil tries to get? He tries to push and intimidate and make you think that you're just so foolish for believing that old book. Intimidates people. He uses repetition to brainwash people into thinking the Bible could not be true. How many times do you hear, well, you know, it's just written by man. Uh, just really quick, I'm going to say this. I don't want to belabor this. I've, got, I've only got a couple minutes anyways. Uh, recognize this. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I want you to know, it is not mankind's job to preserve a Bible. God promised He would. And so either He did or He didn't. And if He didn't, you and I can go home now. Why? Because that makes God a liar. Either he got all the words right or he didn't. And if he didn't, then you and I just go home. Because our salvation is not guaranteed anymore. I don't know why you'd worship a God who can't even keep one book together. Anyways, I'm going to get all fired up, so I'm going to carry on. You know, you realize that the first thing the devil ever did in Genesis chapter 3 was ask one simple question. Yea, hath God said... So what's he doing? He just wants you to question what God said. Could God keep his words? Could God really? I mean, is that really what he said about it? I mean, what did God really say? That's all he wants. If he can get you to question the truth of the Bible, you know what he gets? He gets you to think like the world. 
the world questions what God says. Well, how can, how can you know that you have eternal life? Because the Bible said so. Well, yeah, but... Uh-huh. It's not enough for them. It ought to be enough for you. Because that's the way you ought to be thinking. You're either going to think like the world or you're going to think like God wants you to think. We all know the acronym for the Bible, right? Basic instructions before leaving earth. He's given us what we're supposed to know, why we're supposed to know it. He tells us we have the mind of Christ. He tells us we can understand Him. He tells us we can know Him. He tells us we can believe Him. So are you going to think that way, or are you just going to continue to think like the world? The devil, the devil doesn't need to sideline you very hard. He just get, has to get you to think like they think. Say, and then what? My time is up, Brother Thomas. Thank you, sir. Um, I knew that. I was wrapping it up, I swear. I was like two sentences away right here, and then I was going to pray. Um, man. That's... He used to be a Sunday school teacher, <laughs> and that was his signal to cut it off. Um, the devil would want nothing more, nothing more than just, just get the Christian to think like the world. Because if you stay thinking like the world, you know what you'll do? You'll do things like this. Isn't the world always talking about offending people? I don't want to offend anybody. I mean, I, you don't want to say those things because somebody might, you know, they might not really like it. So you know what you can't do? You can't talk about Jesus. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how Christians have started to talk about not wanting to offend anybody? And the Lord makes the statement that he came not to get everybody to get, he said, I came to bring, not to bring peace, but a sword. In sports, they talk about polarizing characters. Polarizing people, you know, LeBron James and Michael Jordan and all these guys, right? And Tom Brady and either you love them or you hate them. That's Jesus. Jesus is the original. He is the most polarizing individual in the world if he's proclaimed the way he's supposed to be. Well, he's a sweet little baby. That's not who he is. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, wait a minute. I'd like to think of him as a baby. Yes, you would. Because you don't have to worry about what the baby thinks. You do have to worry about the king sitting upon the throne, the judge of all the earth, the righteous judge who's going to judge everything that you've done and everything you've ever said and everything you've ever thought. See, there, now there's a divide. <laughs> well, Jesus was a good man. Well, he was a whole lot more than that or he wasn't a very good man. Because he's either who he says he is or he's a liar and he's not a very good man. You see, the world's view will pull you into that idea, and you know what you'll get? You'll end up being nobody for Jesus Christ. You'll do nothing. And the devil wants you no more than doing nothing. And if he can get the Christian to do nothing, you know what you'll see? You'll see a world continue to go farther and farther worse. And your community will get worse and worse. And not just because of the world's influence, it'll be because the Christian doesn't even think about trying to win anybody to a Savior. Or to have their life be something where the world would actually want their happiness that they see and their peace and their joy and their contentment when they go through trials and troubles. Because you get the right mindset. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your goodness. I pray you would just continue to bless this morning. Be with Pastor. Strengthen and help him as he preaches. Give him clarity of thought and mind. Strengthen and help him this day. In Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.